God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Good morning, family. Welcome to our church at home service. How wonderful it is to be with you once again. We are delighted to have you. My name is Balesa, and I'll be taking you through the service today. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We are glad to have you. If you will, please click the link in the description box and fill in the welcome card. We are eager to know you. This morning, what's in my heart is that God is good all the time. You might be wondering, why am I saying God is good when things seem like they're falling apart? Well, God is not good because of the things that we see. He is good because his nature is good. He is intrinsically good. So this morning, God is still good. He was good when the Israelites were going through the wilderness. He was good when Jesus was crucified on the cross. He was good then. He is good now. He will be good forevermore. So this morning as we enter the service and start off with worship, remember that we are worshiping a good God. A God who in His nature is good. After worship, we'll have Auntie Regina share the offering message with us. And then after that, we'll have Dr. Maquarela share the word of God. Thank you. Enjoy the service. between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone there was another in the fire standing next to me there was another in the waters holding back the seas should I ever need reminding how I've been set across the past the burnings where another died for me there is another in the fire on my dead left for dead beneath the water longer a slave to my sin anymore Should I fall in the space between what remains of me and the reckoning Either way I won't go to the peace of this world I know I know I will never be alone There is another in the fire Oh 
There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come on, may in this space between all the things I see and this reckoning. I know I will never be alone. On Sunday, the 5th of September, we are going to have our annual general meeting at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Please save the date. More information will be shared in the coming weeks. Cornerstone's Ladies' Conference, which is meant to take place on the 21st of August, will no longer take place in person. It will only take place online. For more information or queries, please speak to Mrs. Matebula. The details will appear. As a church, we have decided to start another prayer group. Um, this is a prayer group for people who are willing and able to wake up at dawn and join us in prayer. Our prayer meetings will be every Tuesday morning at 5 in the morning. Tuesday mornings at 5 in the morning and Every week there will be somebody leading us in prayer. It is actually a very interesting and exciting thing because it is an interactive prayer meeting. There will be somebody leading. You will be in the comfort of your house or the comfort of your bed or maybe at times even traveling because the curfew now ends at four, isn't it? So, you know, you would be on the road, in the house or wherever you are. 
then you'll be able to be part of the prayer meeting. Please join us. Hi church, we hope you are all doing well. I'd like to personally invite you to our next in-person Sunday or Wednesday church gatherings. We understand that safety is a priority for most people right now. And I can assure you that we are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that you and your family will be safe before, during, and after the church gathering. So here are some of the things that you can expect at any of our in-person church gatherings. Upon arrival, you will be greeted by our fantastic check-in managers who will scan your temperature and make sure that you have filled in the COVID-19 declaration form. To ensure a smooth and contactless check-in experience, we ask that you uh, pre-book your seat online and also fill in the COVID-19 declaration form prior to your arrival at church. If you are also signing up for other members of your family, make sure that you have filled in the COVID-19 declaration form for each member of your family. As you enter the auditorium, uh, one of our ushers is going to help you to find your seat. Now, our seats have been spaced out to allow for a safe physical distance between you and those that are around you. But you also have the option of sitting next to your family members and your loved ones. We ask that you kindly keep your face mask on, covering both your nose and your mouth throughout the time that you will be on the church premises. Because your safety and the safety of those that are around you is one of our top priorities. And lastly, as awesome as Church at Home has been, we know and we can assure you that it cannot compare to an in-person church gathering. So I cannot wait to see you on our next church gathering. Take care and God bless you. Hi, my name is Shaka and I'll be giving you the offering message for today. Now during these trying times of the pandemic, we are actually required more than ever to serve people. Now this may take its toll on us, but I'd just like to read a verse which we may be familiar with, and it's a verse that we may take for granted at times. It is from Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 to 40, and it reads as follows. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Here we're reminded that the service is about the love that we have for God. Pastor Kulu once quoted a verse from Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. And it spoke about God is not man that he should lie. We therefore cannot separate the love of God from the love of other human beings. 
In Genesis 1 verse 27 it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So my prayer is that every time I see a human being, whether in my family, whether in the streets or in the workplace, I should be reminded that I am seeing Christ himself because we are created in God's image. And when I serve, whether I serve in the house of God or to another person that God has given me the opportunity to serve, I am serving Christ himself. Brothers and sisters, we serve in the house of God. This is just the beginning of our service. Now as we give today, let us remember who we serve. And don't just give in the church. Continue to give out there to other human beings as you see the need and the opportunity. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you, Father God. To serve you not only through our financial giving, but by serving other human beings, Father God. Human beings that were created in your image, Lord. We just thank you that we are your children, Father God, and that you bless us, you take care of us, Father God. We were strangers and you invited us in. We were hungry and you fed us. And you will continue to do that, Father God. We put our faith and trust in you as we give today, as we serve you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Greetings, People's Church. And it's an honor and a privilege to be sharing with you this Sunday from a series which we're still continuing with. This is the seventh installment of our series, Rise and Rebuild. We're carrying on from last week, uh, sort of part two of that topic that we started more than just a wall. We're still looking at rebuilding, and this period of rebuilding of Jerusalem starts in the periods between 538 and 535 BC. This is when Zerubbabel, or otherwise known as Zerubbabel, leads a group of people of about 50,000 people back from captivity into Jerusalem. This is after Cyrus had issued a decree that people can go back and rebuild their lives. So in about 536 BC, if you consider the year of return to be 538, the work of rebuilding the temple starts. But it stalls and actually comes to a complete halt for about between 14 and 16 years. Nothing is happening. In about 520 BC, this is when our guy stands up and reads them the act and asks them, what are you doing? Why are you busy rebuilding your own houses while the house of God lies in ruins? You have your priorities all mixed up and no wonder then things are not working. You're putting your money in pockets with holes. They get the message and the rebuilding of the temple is revived. In about 516 BC, the temple is completed. And by the way, the, the events, if you're wondering, some of the events like the book of Esther also happens there in between about 483 BC. In about 445 or 444 BC, this is when we now pick up the account of Nehemiah. This is the character of Nehemiah who is now serving under King Artaxerxes. He's the king's cupbearer. While he was there, he receives a report from Hanani, who some believe is actually his brother. He gives him the state of affairs back in Jerusalem. And the report is very depressing for about months, about four months. 
He is weighed down. He is burdened. He is grieving about the situation. He is fasting and he is praying. And there he is in the king's presence and he said about this situation. And the king asks him, what is wrong? And he lays it all on the table and the king asks a very important question. What is your request? And he gives them the request to say, look, I have to go back and rebuild Jerusalem or the wall for that matter. The king grants him the request. Then he journeys back. He assesses the situation of what needs to be done and he speaks with the people of Jerusalem, and they all agreed that it's time to rise and build. However, we also learned that not everybody was happy with this news. This turn of events, there was a group of people who were disturbed that they were seeking the welfare of the children of Israel. They were really, really disturbed, and their disturbance went from just being disturbed to now mocking them say, going to really rebuild this wall? We learn of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem who were not pleased about this news. And we also learn, like, I also in indicated that this is not the first time we're going to run into these characters. They are going to be, throughout this whole account of Nehemiah, they'll be a constant feature. We concluded last week with these four points asking the question, what, what's burdening? What's weighing you down? What is grieving? What is that thing that you just cannot shake loose? And point number two was pray about it. Pray and wait on God about it. Take it to God. See if that, this is what God wants you to do. And the other point number three is that we need to also pay attention to the bigger picture. What is the bigger picture? Because yet they were building, rebuilding the wall, but it was more than just the wall. It was about God rebuilding this community. And the fourth thing, which Nehemiah also indicates when he's speaking with his adversaries, he says, God will prosper us. It is God who prospers us. Amongst the opposition and criticism, it is God who prospers our work. So this morning, we'll pick it up from chapter 4 up until chapter 6. And we will look at where they are now continuing to rebuild the wall and all the challenges that they had to deal with up until the wall was finished. In chapter 4, it starts, verse 1, But it so happened when some ballad heard and there's just something that you think about right there that when you look back in so many of your situations, you might be tempted to think that that, that was a Sanballat moment. That person who came in and featured in so many ways. But the interesting thing that I just want to point out is God does not remove the opposition necessarily. Sometimes we are busy praying about, and that is fine, but... God does not actually need for this group of people to go away. He can still achieve his purposes in the midst of the opposition. He said, but it so happened when Sanballat heard they are continuing to rebuild. When he heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. So he, he moved now from just, he was disturbed and he was mocking and laughing at them. But now, He's furious. 
indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren. Now it's no longer just him, Tobiah, and Geshem. Now it's his brethren. Army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish? Stones that are burned. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I mean, this is very comical. He says, even a fox, if, if, if a fox were to jump on this wall, it would come to nothing. And a fox weighs about, I mean, nine kilograms. That's the mess of, of the biggest fox you can find, a red fox. It says, even a nine kilogram creature, if he jumps onto this thing, what good is this thing? And you find this, this, this half Criti have truth criticism because indeed if some say that if, 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 if it's the wall that is made of limestone, if those, those stones were burned with fire, they're actually good for nothing. But they're continuing to build and he says that wall is good for nothing. And there's some truth to say these were not really necessarily expert builders. But you have to think about it, that in the midst of the criticism, they continue to build. It is because of that point that we've already mentioned. It is God who prospers them. And the other thing that I want to, to point out, that it could be true. They are not master builders. Yes, but God is the one who is begging the, the work that is being done of rebuilding the wall. So point number two, which is actually just important for those who have done freedom in Christ, you'll remember, is no one tears down another person with criticism from a position of strength. These guys were not criticizing Nehemiah and his crew because they themselves were strong. There was something in them that was disturbed, something in them that felt inadequate, that felt threatened, that they had to now criticize those people who were doing something. It is not because they were strong. And let us see how Nehemiah responds to this criticism. Verse 4 says, Hear, O God, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them a splendor to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out. From before, them, from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Again, two, two quick things. It's, I mean, this type of prayer, we would not normally pray this type of prayer where we're saying, God, don't even forgive their sin. Don't even consider them. Let them be taken away from, to captivity. But if you think about it, deep down there are situations where we, we, we tend to pray this type of prayers. And I am not saying pray them, but I'm just saying that Nehemiah does this interesting thing where he receives this and he takes it to God. He just pours out to God his whole heart. It's not as if God did not know. 
how Nehemiah felt. It's not as in those moments where we are deeply offended. God knows how you feel. And even if you take it to him like that, and like I said, God does not have to remove the enemies, but he actually can deal with our hearts in the midst of those situations where we are offended. So we might as well be honest with God to say, this is how I really feel. The second thing that we do find is Nehemiah says, they are provoking you. He recognizes that this is God who called them to this work. This is not their work. So when the enemy is attacking Nehemiah and his people, he's actually attacking God. When they are ridiculing them, to say this wall is good for nothing, it's not about the people who are building. It's about God. The same thing Saul found out when he was persecuting the church. Jesus does not ask, Saul, why are you persecuting these people? He says, why are you persecuting me? So in the situations where we find ourselves oppressed, remember, it is not about you. It is the God who sent you to do that work. So we might as well take it to God and say, God, we are being attacked. We are being ridiculed, but actually they are ridiculing and attacking you. Verse 6 says, so we built the wall. In the midst of that, in the midst of the criticism and the mocking, and where we are dealing with so much opposition, Nehemiah says, we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work, as if to say, people were of one mind. It was not just Nehemiah pushing these people to work. They were of one mind. They were ready to work. And as we will later find out, for as long as these people were of one mind, no external opposition could derail them. No external opposition could come against them and disturb the work for as long as they were of one mind. The same thing as we had learned months ago about the Tower of Babel. For as long as those people spoke the same language, were of the same understanding. The work continued. It was only when there was confusion that came internally, that's when the work stopped. Verse 7, so, verse seven says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. So you can see that is building. They, they now went from being just burning with rage. They, now they're very angry. And all of them conspired. So they were disturbed. They mocked them, very indignant. Now it's time to conspire against them. So they conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. Now they're planning an attack. And create confusion. Verse 9 says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Back to the point I made earlier is that even when the news of an imminent attack is coming, they received it and prayed. They received the news and passed it on to God. And as if to say, God, this is your work. But it's also important that praying is not the only thing that they did. 
there was also some practical things that they put in place, and this is what we're coming to. In verse 11, it says, And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Verse 12. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Verse 18. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. See, this is now Nehemiah planning. They've prayed about it. Now it's time for some action. And said people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. You see, now it's a, there's a bigger picture. They're not fighting for the wall. It says, fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work, so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bow, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand, they worked at construction, and with the other held a weapon. Verse 18, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside him. It is important thing for, for, for us to just note this critical point that Nehemiah is saying, that remember, Nehemiah did not come back to Jerusalem to fight. It just so happened that he found himself in a situation where the fight called. He had to be ready around the clock. And to some degree, this resembles our Christian experience. I mean, before we were saved, we had, we had little to no opposition. We were living carefree, selfish, and self-centered lives. And we came over here to the kingdom of God. And what we found out, what we thought maybe it was just going to be a smooth ride, we found that we just walked straight into a war zone. We signed up for war immediately when we gave our life to Christ. That's when we knew that we were not just wrestling against flesh and blood, as the Bible says. And here is the second thing that Nehemiah points out. And those who went to group conference of 2019, you remember this illustration. And I'll just also give the same illustration. He says, with one hand, they were building. And with the other hand, they carried a weapon. Think about that. With one hand, they worked at construction. The work had to carry on. 
and with the other, they carried a weapon. So it, there was no way that they could just sit and wait. Yes, they have prayed about it. Yes, they've believed God about this thing. But they still, they still the practical part that needs to happen. We believe God. Yes, we trust God. Yes, we have prayed about it. But it does not mean that we negate the corresponding action of construction. Just, just as James says, I will show you my faith by my works. We show our confidence in our prayers as we, as we, as we continue to work. The spiritual does not negate the practical. The spiritual empowers the practical. We are able to carry out the practical because it's begged by the spiritual. But without the practical, the spiritual is disempowered. We cannot just pray and not do the practical. That is what encourages me. It says that the, we, with one hand, we continue to build. But we did not forget that there is a wall that could break out at any time. And that is one thing that we can learn from this, that we, we are empowered. We have confidence that we have prayed about this thing. Now we can continue to carry on the work. Whatever it is that needs to be done, we pray and we also have corresponding action. The two are not mutually exclusive. And now we continue we go to chapter 5, and this is where we find what I was alluding to earlier, the internal type of opposition, which threatened to derail this whole thing. They were okay when they were dealing with an external enemy, but now we find out that they're dealing with some challenges internally. Verse 1 says, And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren, it's no longer the external. Now it's against each other. For there were those who said, we. You see, now it's we. We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and houses that we may buy grain because of the famine. Verse 4, there were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyard. You see now what is happening, there is confusion and destruction internally. Because now, instead of building the wall that needs to be built, instead of understanding that even when the wall is being built, there could be an attack from, from outside, there is now destruction from inside. It says, it's, it's now their brother, it's brothers versus brothers enslaving one another. This is now the biggest form of destruction we could ever face when we don't recognize that 
For as long as the house is divided against itself internally, it cannot stand. At this point, the enemy outside, Sanballat, might, might as well not even exist. He does not even have to do anything because they will collapse on themselves internally. They will just implode because now they are fighting against each other. Imagine a situation, if, if Nehemiah had allowed this situation to carry on, what was going to, nothing was going to, it, it was just going to be self-destructive. And Nehemiah now stands up and he is not afraid of addressing this issue. Because sometimes we can be afraid of, 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 of tempering because people who were enslaving these people were the rich people, were the elite. He is not afraid of tempering with the status quo. It says verse 6, and I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the, noble, the nobles and the rulers. So he's not afraid to speak truth to power. He says, I rebuked them and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nation. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? There was nothing, there was nothing against the Jews owning slaves, but they, you could not enslave your brother. Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. What you are doing is not good especially in the bigger picture of rebuilding the community, what you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations and our enemies? I also with my brethren and my servants, I am lending them money and grain. Sister, I know that they are in need. Please let us stop this usury. Let us not charge interest on money that we are borrowing these people. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyard, their olive groves, and their houses. Also hundreds of the money and grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. Verse 12, so they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them will do as you say. This is, this is so interesting that this situation now, which was about to derail this whole thing, which now they were now fighting internally, Nehemiah stands up and addresses this situation. He says, what you're doing is wrong. Stop this thing. Stop charging your brothers. Stop enslaving your brothers. And I'm glad that they heed to this call. They stood up and said, we will restore. And now the work can continue as we now look at chapter 6. Now the work now continues. And this is where we will conclude this. Looking at verse 15 and 16. These verses now tends, they, 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 they tell the crux of the matter. But before this, Nehemiah indicates that there were moles within this camp. Within his own people, there were snitches. There were people who were feeding Sanballat information. There were people who tried 
to derail this. There were people who tried to give Nehemiah false counsel. They were trying to give him information to lend him into trouble. And we'll also lend that son Balat in five occasions in an act of desperation. He tries to lure Nehemiah into some conversation so that he can attack him. But Nehemiah said, I did not go there. He tried all kinds of tricks. And Nehemiah did not budge. And we thank God because it could not just be Nehemiah by his own wisdom. He must have known, he must have been led by God in these situations. Because there were some situations where he just did not know better, but he just felt that he could not do that. Now we go to verse 16, verse 15 and 16. And it said, So the wall was finished on the 20th day of Elon. In 52 days, the wall was finished. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nation around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. And here's the critical thing. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. This is the crux of the whole situation. In this whole account of Nehemiah, we will learn this. The main character is not the people, it's not Nehemiah, it's not, it's, not, it's not the adversaries. The main character of this whole account is God himself. When, 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 when they finally completed this work, through all the challenges, through all the oppositions, they were forced to acknowledge this. Even their own enemies... They knew that it was God who helped them, but the enemy also knows. The enemy perceived every nation around them, even maybe people who were not necessarily enemies, they perceived that this, this is the work that was done by God. There is no way that these people could have completed this war. Among all, in the midst of all these challenging times, in the midst of, of all the challenges they faced, Remember, this, these are people who were enslaved. They had to come back and pick up the pieces. As they're picking up the pieces, when they finally put these things together, the critical thing is they look back in everything that they've overcome up to this point. When they've rebuilt the altar, the temple, and now the wall. So now, they've rebuilt the temple, they've rebuilt the wall. And now they're looking back. They themselves would have known that it was not our own wisdom. Yes, they planned. Yes, they had the, the begging of Artaxerxes and all of that. But in this moment where everything is now completed, it was God who gets the glory. Even their own enemies who thought this wall will come to nothing. Even if fox stands on this wall, this thing will just collapse. They had to look and say, this was the end of God upon these people's lives. And as we conclude, just to revisit these three critical points, God does not necessarily remove opposition or criticism to complete his purposes. Because remember, the war is not ours. Nehemiah, when he prays, he says, these people are provoking you, God. The war is not ours. God does not necessarily, God can accomplish. Yes, he can remove the opposition if they need to be removed. 
But God can still accomplish his purposes, his plans, in what he has called us to do in the midst of the opposition. Number two, the word and the practical, the spiritual and the practical, they go together. As we pray, as we commit things into God's hands, the wall still needs to be built. The work still needs to continue. As we have prayed, as we are putting our confidence in God, we are empowered to succeed as we continue to work. The third and most important thing is the main character of our whole story is God. He is the one who has to, to be present. He is the one who gets all the glory. When now we have to, to say, how did you do this thing? When people are asking you, how did you complete? We know you were under-resourced. We know you were not qualified. We know there was opposition. We know you were working in the midst of all sorts of challenges where you had to juggle the sword and the trowel. You'll say, but it was God who did it. Even the opposition knew that it was God who gets all the glory. And may you be encouraged by these words as you build something as you put your hand into what God has burdened you with. Remember that it is God who prospers us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we're so grateful that as you call us, as you nudge us, as you burden us with things that you want us to put, to put our hands on, Father, we put our confidence in you that in the midst of all these situations, Lord, our confidence should be on you. Father, we thank you so much that people who are dealing with different situations, challenges, let them be reminded that they, they need to get hold of your word as they continue to do the practical. Give us the grace, Lord, to hold on to your word and to carry on with the work. Give us the assurance that you never leave us or forsake us. Give us the peace around us as we know that the battle is never ours. The battle is yours. Strengthen us and prosper the work of our hands. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, my name is Monty Glenn, and together with my wife, we pastor People's Church. I'm so glad that you chose to join us online today. And I pray that God uses this resource to make you more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's important to note that these kinds of resources are never meant to replace the need for you to belong to a local church congregation where you are led and shepherded. A place where you can use your gifts and your resources to make a positive impact on the lives of the people around you. This is only meant to supplement and not substitute that. And lastly, I would like to ask you, if these resources have been of benefit to you, would you kindly consider giving to People's Church? This is so that we can continue to invest in technologies that help us and enable us to increase our reach and spread the message of Jesus Christ even wider and to even more people. For ways to do that, you can go to our website and click on the Giving tab and you'll see ways to be able to give. Now once again, Thank you so much for joining us today. Take care and God bless you. What an empowering message that was. Thank you, Dr. Maguarela. Church, we heard. 
Let us allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives through this message. Have a lovely week. Keep safe and be well. Thank you.